first time in their history, the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions. <laughs> <laughs> We're the champions. <laughs> well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I don't know why. Either. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Well, the Blues won. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. So there's that. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the From middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. In California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX and uh, oh, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel. Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. But as you heard at the top of the show there... You know, uh, not a lot of wins around here lately, Desi Doyen. <laughs> this uh, is true. So uh, something that I never thought I would say, the St. Louis Blues are the Stanley Cup champions. Are you kidding? No, I'm not. They really are, and I am still exhausted from uh, that seventh <laughs> game last night. 52 years in the making. My mom and dad were at the uh, St. Louis Blues' very first game in St. Louis, and they were watching last night as the Blues finally won a Stanley Cup for the first time in franchise history, which began just one year after I was born. So, uh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's very cool. Pretty cool. It's, uh, it was quite the Cinderella story, especially uh, the part where St. Louis, I believe, if I'm correct, was yeah. at the bottom yeah. of the list, the losingest yes. team. They as were of the January. worst team in the National Hockey League as of January 2nd, and they ended up winning the Stanley Cup. So in, in June, in, so. in June, rags to riches, Cinderella yep. story, whatever you want to call so it. So happy. Early Father's Day, Dad, and <laughs> I guess happy late Mother's Day, Mom. Uh, I won't bore you folks with uh, much more of this, other than perhaps a few bumper music tributes to the blues throughout today's program. I, I do know we have a few blues fans who tune in, but I, I just had to take one victory lap today. Thank you for indulging me. As That's you know, there the is news. yeah, there's not much to feel good about lately. So, uh, and of course, now that they have finally won after all of these years, I'm not sure what else I have to live for. So, it's got we're gonna have to work to find something <laughs> here today. Uh, but at least there's I, yeah, that. Yeah, there is that. 
And thus ends today's broadcast. Good night, everyone. <laughs> anyway, let's start today with a, a quick response from a Daily Coast commenter on Tuesday's program regarding my rant that the GOP is now little more than a 100% entirely corrupt enterprise from top to bottom, that it is no longer even recognizable as a legitimate political entity, at least as we have long regarded political parties in this country, as much as it is simply a, and literally now, a front group for corporate and often criminal interests that is now willing to say and do anything, no matter how ridiculous, no matter how extreme, no matter how dangerous, in order to cling to their power. That's what that's what this party is now. It is nothing more than that. The entire party, from the White House down to the state and local level. And uh, as, as I also noted, that assessment, by the way, has nothing to do with how good or bad the Democratic Party is or isn't. They have problems. We discuss them quite a bit here, but they are at least, with all of their problems, they're still a legitimate political entity, unlike the Republicans, who I just can't regard that way. When it comes to the GOP, they are just not legitimate in any way, shape, or form, sadly enough, as I see it. And as I've noted, I'm, I'm not sure what we all can do about that other than to vote and to vote and to vote and to inform others and to organize and then to vote again, like our lives depended on it, because in many cases at this point, they actually do. And we'll get to some of that a little bit later today as well, I hope. Uh, anyway, in response to that rant from Tuesday's program, when I posted the show over at Daily Coast, Graf Zeppelin 127 replied to say the modern GOP is corrupt in ways that the modern Democratic Party could never dream of being. The proof is in the party's respective governing agendas, the real ones, not the comic book versions they talk about in the Fox News paracosm. I had to look up the word paracosm. Have yeah. you ever heard that one before? No, I All haven't. Right. It is a, uh, according to Wikipedia, a paracosm is a detailed imaginary world. Ah. Paracosms are thought generally to originate in childhood and to have one or uh, numerous creators. The creator of a paracosm has a complex and deeply felt relationship with this subjective universe which may incorporate real-world or imaginary characters and conventions. It sounds exactly like the Republican Party yeah. at this point to it's me. A, and it's the a Fox wholly News constructed viewers. alternate reality. Graf Zeppelin goes on to write, It's actually rather difficult to encapsulate the Democratic Party's governing agenda in a single sentence or phrase. Basically, it's to invest in the public good, health, education, infrastructure, job training, equality, and to avoid or ameliorate harm to the public caused by the predations of powerful interests, as well as hold those interests accountable for the harm that they cause. Or, as Republicans call it, Socialism. <laughs> Legislation proposed and passed by Democrats in the recent past, like the Affordable Care Act, Dodd-Frank, the Recovery Act, Lilly Ledbetter, bears that out, says Graf Zeppelin. The GOP's agenda is simpler. Ensure that the powerful interests that own the party are not accountable and never held accountable for the harm that they cause, or as Republicans call it, freedom. 
their own recent legislative and administrative actions to cut corporate taxes, deregulate industry, stack the courts, bears that out. Which of these two agendae is more ripe for corruption? Asks Daily Kos's Graf Zeppelin. Good question. And good comment. Thanks for that. I appreciate that. And I think uh, I think he or she is right on the money with yeah. those thoughts. Well said. But given some of the remarkable responses that we've seen from Republicans over the past week, which I've been trying to get to all week, to the Mueller report, which those folks on the right simply have not read, or they simply dismiss it for even more outlandish reasons than uh, even Donald Trump has been uh, able to scrape up, but which details crime after crime by the sitting president of the United States. It certainly underscores the GOP's complete illegitimacy, just illegitimacy. It's not whether I agree with them or not. It's just they're not legitimate as a party. So anyway, uh, we'll get to some of that today. And we'll, we need to sort of start by sliding through at least a, a few parts of the GOP paracosm today. Put on your hazmat suits, I, I, I think, today is a good idea, uh, because it's got to be super bizarre, a super bizarre day at the Conway household today. That would be the household of Kellyanne Conway, a former Fox News pollster and one of President Trump's top advisors and and his most aggressive apologist and 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 public liars, at least uh, in the White House. And she'll be the only one left, I guess, after um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders apparently is now calling it quits. She'll be gone by month's end. But Kellyanne Conway, I guess, is staying around despite the fact that she appears to have repeatedly broken the law. But uh, so Kellyanne Conway, you know who she is. And then there's George Conway, also in the household. That would be Kellyanne's husband and a longtime right-wing conservative attorney and operative who was at the center of the legal chicanery to remove Bill Clinton from office through impeachment. And yet he is now one of the loudest and most damning critics of Donald Trump. So I can only guess at this point that they sleep in separate bedrooms, but life at the Conway household must be having its most bizarre day ever today. Let's start with what happened to Kellyanne. A federal watchdog agency has recommended that President Donald Trump fire one of his most ardent defenders. That would be Counselor Kellyanne Conway according to AP, for repeatedly violating a law that limits political activity by government workers. The U.S. Office of Special Counsel, which is unrelated to Special Counsel Robert Mueller's office, just to avoid confusion there, they said in a letter to Donald Trump today that Kellyanne Conway has been a, quote, repeated offender of the Hatch Act by disparaging Democratic presidential candidates while speaking in her official capacity during television interviews and on social media. Trump and Vice President Mike Pence, they are exempt from the Hatch Act, but there are no exceptions for other federal officials, including White House employees. The uh, agency does not have the authority, this is the Office of the Special Counsel, does not have the authority to fire Conway on their own, so it would be up to the president to follow its recommendations. 
to dismiss one of his most unwavering defenders. The agency's letter states, quote, Miss Conway's violations, if left unpunished, would send a message to all federal employees that they need not abide by the Hatch Act's restrictions. Her actions thus erode the principal foundation of our democratic system, the rule of law. The OSC uh, had ruled back in March of 2018 that Conway violated the Hatch Act back in 2017 when she expressed support for GOP candidate Roy Moore, Senate candidate down in Alabama and against the Democratic candidate Doug Jones in that special election back in 2017. In November, the agency also found that six Trump officials violated the Hatch Act after they tweeted support for Republicans or for Trump himself from their government accounts, but declined to recommend disciplinary action in those cases. Only for Kellyanne Conway for now, um, as a repeat offender, is the office saying she should be fired. Last month, Conway went after former Vice President Joe Biden's Democratic presidential campaign and mocked the Hatch Act after a reporter told her that her comments could violate the law. She said, quote, blah, blah, blah. If you're trying to silence me through the Hatch Act, it's not going to work, Conway added. Let me know when the jail sentences start. Okay. Well, okay, but there will I be know. no. Uh, I know, because uh, somebody has to actually follow through on enforcing these laws. No, no, no. There, there is no jail sentence for the Hatch Act. Oh, the, uh, too bad. It's, it, I know. It's not uh, jailable, if that's the right word. Uh, Stephen Groves, the uh, is just not one of the penalties, not one of the remedies for the Hatch Act. Stephen Groves, the White House Deputy Press Secretary, I guess maybe soon to be the press secretary or perhaps the acting press secretary, since that's how Donald Trump rolls. Uh, in any event, he slammed the uh, decision from the OSC, indicated that Conway would not face disciplinary action. Quote, because our White House doesn't follow any rules or laws, he said. No, that's not actually what he said, but it might have been more honest if he had said it, because that's exactly the case. Instead, uh, he claimed that the law itself was the problem. He said, quote, the Office of Special Counsel's unprecedented actions against Kellyanne Conway are deeply flawed and violate her constitutional rights to free speech and due process. So you see, it's the law that's the problem. It's the law that's getting in the way. It's not her violation of the law that's getting it. That that is the problem here. White House counsel Pat Cipollone also excoriated the agency in an 11-page letter calling it a draconian and patently ridiculous recommendation that the president remove one of his closest advisors He said, quote, it doesn't matter if she robbed a bank or shot someone on Fifth Avenue. She's one of the president's closest advisors, for Christ's sake. No, he he didn't didn't say say that that either. But he might as well have. He did question the watchdog's impartiality and uh, demanded that the OSC withdraw its 17-page report. Now, career government officials found to have violated the Hatch Act cannot be imprisoned, but they can be fired, suspended, demoted, and fined up to $1,000. But all of it, the punishment for the crime, is left up to the president 
in this case, left up to the president of the United States himself. So, golly, I wonder what he'll do to punish a serial lawbreaker in his own White House. Of course, any other presidential administration of any party might have given Kellyanne at least a warning after the first instance as a reprimand, but only Trump's White House swamp would keep her on through incident after incident that they are happy, not embarrassed about. And, of course, any other administration, at least a Democratic one, which refused to take action on a serial repeat offender like this who violates the Hatch Act, named, uh, by the way, for Republican Senator Orrin Hatch, who had repeated this time and time again. Um, anyone, any other administration who did not take action on this would be excoriated for that. By the media. By the media and by Congress. By Republicans in Congress, there would be congressional hearings and more on this one offense alone by Kellyanne Conway. It would be a huge scandal Such if they didn't take action. I mean, in a real administration, she would have been fired already long ago for this. Such as it is, I suspect this is now little more than a one-day story. Democrats still refuse to take appropriate action for the unprecedented criminal enterprise known as the Republican Party, which is now being run out of the White House by another repeated offending criminal lawbreaker currently known as the president of the United States. OK, so that was Kellyanne. That was Kellyanne's day on Thursday. Let's check in on Mr. Conway, Kellyanne's husband. Not former husband, not estranged husband, at least as far as I know. Her current husband, George Conway, the longtime right-wing attorney, turned now frequent critic of his wife's boss, Donald Trump. In the Washington Post today, George Conway, Kellyanne's husband, teamed up with Neil Katyal, a law professor at Georgetown University, uh, who previously served as the acting solicitor general of the United States under Barack Obama. He also authored the uh, special counsel's uh, statutes, which were triggered with Donald Trump's firing of FBI director James Comey and the hiring of special counsel Robert Mueller. So George Conway and Neil Katyal write in an op-ed in The Washington Post today. On the same day that uh, the the, uh, Office of Special Counsel has recommended Donald Trump fire his wife, Kellyanne Conway, uh, they write in a Washington Post op-ed headlined, Trump just invited Congress to begin impeachment proceedings. Much ink, they write, has been spilled about whether Donald Trump, uh, whether President Trump committed a criminal and impeachable offense by obstructing justice. That question deserves extensive debate. But another critical question, the ultimate question really, is not whether he committed a crime, but whether he is even fit for office in the first place. And that question, the heart of an impeachment inquiry, turns upon whether the president abuses his power and demonstrates an unfitness to serve under the defining principles of our Constitution. On Tuesday, they note, Trump gave us uh, direct evidence of his contempt toward the most foundational precept of our democracy, that no person, not even the president, is above the law. 
He filed a brief in the nation's second most important court, that would be the U.S. Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C., that takes the position that Congress cannot investigate the president except possibly in impeachment proceedings. They say, uh, again, Kellyanne Conway's husband says it's a spectacularly anti-constitutional brief and anyone who harbors such attitudes towards the Constitution's architecture is not fit for office, they write. Trump's brief is nothing if not an invitation to commencing impeachment proceedings that, for reasons set out in the Mueller report, should have already commenced. In other words, they're saying that the president has gone to court and uh, to, to, to try to block these um, subpoenas to his accountants, in this case, Mazars USA, to say that uh, Congress can't do that. The only thing they can do is impeach, which, as Conway and Katyal here note, seems to be begging Congress to begin impeaching him if that's the only way that they're supposed to uh, be able to that, that Congress is able to oversee a president of the United States. They go on to write the case involves uh, the House committee's efforts to follow up on the testimony of Trump's now incarcerated former attorney, Michael Cohen, that Trump had allegedly committed financial and tax fraud and paid off paramours women with whom he'd had affairs in violation of federal campaign finance laws. The House Committee on Oversight subpoenaed Trump's accountants at Mazars back in April for documents, and Trump tried to block the move, only to be sternly rebuked in mid-May by a federal judge in Washington, D.C. The appeals brief that Trump has now filed in return attacks the decision of the federal judge he argues that Congress is, quote, trying to prove that the president broke the law, unquote, and that that is something Congress can't do because it's, quote, an exercise of law enforcement authority that the Constitution reserves only to the executive branch, unquote. In other words, it, only to the branch that is run by the president himself. Trump is arguing in this brief that, only he can investigate himself on criminal matters, not Congress. Really, this is what his appeal is in this case. They can't investigate me. Only I can investigate me. The only thing they could do, maybe, is impeach me. Now, by the way, Donald Trump has said he can't be impeached because he hasn't done anything wrong and that he would sue if he was impeached. Unclear who he would sue in such an event, but that's the claim. Conway and Cotchill go on to write, in fact, Congress investigates lawbreaking and potential lawbreaking all the time. Mobsters, fraudsters, government employees, small companies, big companies, like it or not, all types of people and businesses get subpoenaed from time to time so that Congress can figure out whether current laws are effective, whether new laws are needed, whether sufficient governmental resources are being devoted to the task whether more disclosure to the government, to the public, is required, or greater penalties, and so on. As the district court explained in rejecting Trump's initial lawsuit, uh, it just d destroyed that initial suit, Congress's, quote, power to investigate is deeply rooted in the nation's history. 
Congress, relying on English parliamentary tradition, has performed this function since the founding. So this is nothing new. Uh, the only thing new here is that Donald Trump is now the president being investigated by Congress, and he doesn't like it. It is not new that Congress is in, uh, investigating a president or a company or anything. Which, they write, brings us to the main point. England's King George III was above the law, but the founders of our republic wanted a system that would divide power and have the branches check one another. The idea that only the president can investigate the president is an argument for autocrats, not Americans. Well, it is now. The only redeeming quality of Trump's legal brief is its seeming grudging acknowledgement that Congress's powers might be greater in an impeachment proceeding. They write that has things only half right. Yes, Congress could investigate Trump's finances in an impeachment proceedings in, in an impeachment proceeding, but it can do so without launching the formal process of impeachment. In other words, Congress has every right to do what they are doing, according to Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway. That said, they write, Trump's brief could be construed as an invitation to commence impeachment proceedings. Well, I accept his invitation, and if that's <laughs> the case. In those proceedings, Trump's attitude toward our Constitution's checks and balances, in addition to evidence of obstruction of justice, must play a key role. Indeed, the third article of impeachment against Richard Nixon, adopted by the House Judiciary Committee in 1974, charged him with defying lawful subpoenas issued by the House Judiciary. And who has been doing that over and over and over again? Not only has Trump done that, Kellyanne Conway's current husband, George, uh, writes, but he has also demonized judges who disagree with him and insulted the press despite its constitutional status for calling him to account for it. Other leaders around the world may behave these, this way, but these are not proper actions of a president of the United States. For the past three decades, many constitutional law classes have begun with Nixon's breathtaking statement to David Frost in May of 1977. Conway and Cotill note citing this legendary exchange between Nixon and Frost. So what in a sense you're saying is that there are certain situations where the president can decide that it's in the best interest of the nation or something and do something illegal. Well, when the president does it, that means that it is not illegal. By definition. Exactly. No, not exactly. Not even close to exactly. When the president does it, uh, it is not, by definition, legal. Nixon was just making stuff up at that point, but uh, it's the same argument that this uh, president, Donald Trump, is trying to make. Uh, it has been established time and time again that that is simply not the case. No one, at least in theory, at least in our laws, at least in our Constitution, is above the law. At least in our Constitution, if not necessarily in practice, in the execution of the Constitution and our laws. But in theory, no one is above the law, not even the president of the United States. In theory. But only if someone holds him to it. Only if someone holds him accountable to it. Generations of students have gasped, 
Right. Conway and Kotyal shocked that a former president could even say such a thing. This time they note it's not a former president, but a sitting one. Every principle behind the rule of law requires the commencement of a process now to make this president a former one, they conclude. Again, that's the current husband of Kellyanne Conway today, writing in The Washington Post, calling on Congress to impeach her boss, the president of the United States. Uh, But apparently, for some reason, we ain't there yet for reasons I can't pretend to entirely uh, comprehend as Democratic leadership in the House continues to suggest that neither the country nor the Democratic caucus in the House itself is in favor of impeachment proceedings right now. So I guess the scoff law should be allowed to continue scoffing at the law violating the Hatch Act, blocking lawful congressional subpoenas. And now, as Trump told ABC News yesterday, I believe. Yes. uh, He's uh, continuing. uh, He will continue to seek damaging information on his political opponents for use in elections from foreign sources, even those who are adversaries of the United States. Yes, he will continue to collude. He says he didn't collude. Though if he did, there's nothing wrong with colluding, and he hopes he looks forward to colluding again in the future. Yeah, if they show up again, then yeah, sure, he'll take a look at it, and he'll decide maybe whether or not he feels like telling the FBI. I I think that this is the only thing at this point that can amaze me more than the fact that the St. Louis Blues finally won a Stanley Cup playoff after 50 (laughs) years. In truth, this is even more difficult to fathom. It really is. But attempt to fathom it, uh, we must, and we will, after a short break. As the fathoming continues on today's broadcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Our musical uh, tribute to my hometown Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues, named uh, 52 years ago for W.C. Handy's song, St. Louis Blues, by the same name there, continues today on the broadcast as my one reward while delving deep and dirty into the ongoing GOP paracosm look it up that is preventing the republican party and its disinformed supporters from 
even acknowledging the rampant, repeated, overwhelming criminality of this president and far more mysteriously the reasons preventing Donald uh, Democrats from exercising their constitutional responsibility to work towards the uh, removal of a criminal president who is clearly and plainly unfit for office and a menace to the nation and the planet why Democrats are uh, still failing to exercise that constitutional mechanism afforded to them to begin an official impeachment inquiry that still uh, I I don't understand it. But uh, if you have an opinion on it, Desi reminds me over the break, uh, you can call your House uh, member, whoever that may be, uh, by dialing 202-224-3121. That's 202-224-3121. One of the reasons that Nancy Pelosi has cited for uh, not moving forward with an impeachment inquiry is that the American people are not in favor of it. Well, let her know if you are or aren't. Um, yes, help them understand, because sometimes it's difficult for them to know exactly what their constituents want. It's unless, hard. Unless you tell them. Being a Congress member is hard. So she continues to block an, an official impeachment inquiry, saying that uh, it is not even close to a majority of House Democrats who favor it for reasons, if true, that I can't comprehend, uh, unless, like most Republicans, they failed to actually read the Robert Mueller report, which details obstruction crime after obstruction crime by this president. And the one Republican who did read the report, conservative Tea Party Freedom Caucus member uh, until recently, Michigan Congressman Justin Amash, uh, he has called for an impeachment inquiry after doing so, after reading it. But now, yes, he has left that Freedom Caucus. On Monday, he stepped down less than a month after becoming the first member of uh, Congress to say that Trump should be uh, has committed impeachable offenses. Amash's series of tweets on that back in mid-May shook Capitol Hill, according to CNN, as the conservative Michigan lawmaker said that uh, Mueller's report established, quote, multiple examples of Trump committing obstruction of justice. The House Freedom Caucus, of course, is a group of about three dozen hardline right-wingers created in 2015 out of what had been the Tea Party Caucus put together following the 2010 Tea Party wave. And now the group is home to some of the uh, president's most ardent defenders, like Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan and current chair Mark Meadows of North Carolina. Amash was a founding member of the group. He told CNN back in March that he had stopped going to meetings of the Freedom Caucus after clashing with the members over the group's direction under Donald Trump. The group, remember the Tea Party, I mean, used to pretend that they were about law and order and personal responsibility and the Constitution. The Tea Party became the Freedom Caucus under this premise, and now they are at the front lines of defending the lawbreaker, uh, the Constitution violator. It's amazing. So, yeah, no wonder Amash had to leave. Um He's the he remains the only sitting Republican right now to publicly say that Trump committed impeachable offenses based on his reading of the Mueller report. And all of that has led to persistent buzz that Amash is now considering a run for president as the libertarian candidate, which GOPers fear could siphon off votes from Trump 
and hand the race to the Democratic candidate, though, frankly, between you and me, I think he would also be popular with younger voters as well uh, who might prefer him over the Democratic candidate, at least depending on who Democrats choose. Today, Amash reportedly said that he probably won't run for president in 2020, but he hadn't, quote, ruled anything out yet. He told reporters, though, he has no interest in simply running to play the, quote, spoiler. He said, when I run for something, I run to win, according to The Hill. In the meantime, today, Amash is also poking a fairly sharp stick at Donald Trump Jr., Amash, uh, who is now facing a primary challenger in his Michigan district because of his stance on Trump, um, he has obviously irked the Trump family by daring to, you know, read the facts of the Mueller report and correctly characterizing them as impeachable offenses. So uh, Stable Genius Jr. tweeted <laughs> out uh, some poll numbers from Amash's primary race uh, said to show big support for Amash's opponent, to which Don Jr. Uh, added, quote, See you soon, Justin. I hear Michigan is beautiful during primary season. In reply, Amash retweeted Don Jr. and added quite clev cleverly, quote, If it's what you say, I love it, especially later in the summer. Now, that was quite clever, but how many Republicans even understand that joke? Do you even understand that Absolutely joke? Absolutely, I understand that joke. Do you want to try to joke. explain what yeah, that's from? Yeah, that is what Don Jr. said yeah. to the original person who emailed him to say, hey, I'm going to set up this Trump Tower meeting with some Russians. Do you want to go? Mm -hmm. And Don Jr. said, if it's what you, you say, say, I, I love it. it. Especially later in the summer. With, uh, uh, and I should note, not just the Trump Tower yeah. meeting, but also because they said they had dirt on Hillary Clinton. They promised dirt from Russia on Hillary Clinton. Right. Uh, so that was clever. I don't know how many Republicans are going to even understand that joke because they don't follow real news. They only watch Fox where they tell them that Trump was exonerated by Robert Mueller. And Lord knows these people did not read the Mueller report, for Christ's sake. In addition to the extracurricular Trump family baiting, Amash has been ruffling feathers uh, on Capitol Hill following his exit from the Freedom Caucus earlier in the week, which he co-founded. He voted on Wednesday to hold General William Barr and Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross in contempt, breaking with other Republicans on the House Oversight Committee. So good for him, good for Justin Amash for not just... Uh, talking the talk, but actually walking the walk. I mean, remember, who, who were the uh, Corker and Jeff Flake, those senators who said, oh, what the, Donald Trump is doing is very, very bad. Yes, they would wring their hands and then they would vote with Trump. I vote for everything he wants. Yeah, at least Amash is not doing that. So good for him. He remains uh, the only sitting Republic, uh, Republican to say he committed impeachable offenses, I suspect, because he's the only one who has actually read the report. Most of them are refusing to do so and coming up with some pretty amazing excuses for not having done so. Congressman Steve Shabbat of Ohio is noted in The Atlantic this week, standing by his vote to impeach President Bill Clinton back in 1998. But he does not think Donald Trump should be impeached. Why? Because Trump never swore on the Bible. Seriously, according to an interview in The Atlantic, Shabbat argued that Clinton, quote, put his hand on the Bible, swore to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth while testifying on his affair with Monica Lewinsky, and then he lied. 
said Shabbat. He perjured himself. But Trump, Trump, he says, didn't perjure himself. He was never under oath. When when Shabbat was asked about 10 instances that Special Counsel Robert Mueller uh, investigated for uh, in the obstruction probe into Trump, Shabbat waved it off. He said, I think when you study almost anybody as closely and with such a fine tooth comb as the president was studied, you're always going to find instances where a person's judgment can be second guests. But that's not what the standard we use to determine whether we ought to impeach a president or not, Shabbat said. All right. No, that is not the standard of the Mueller report either. Trump wasn't just second guessed. He is seen knowingly attempting to obstruct justice. By, for example, trying to have special counsel Robert Mueller fired to end the investigation, ordering his White House counsel Don McGahn to go out and do that, and then telling the White House counsel Don McGahn to lie about the fact that he told him to do that. And when McGahn refused to do that, uh, he told McGahn to create a false record, a written memo saying that he never told him to have the special counsel fired. All of those things are criminal obstruction of justice. Uh, so this is not an instance where uh, Donald Trump's judgment was second guessed. This was him doing things over and over and over to try to undermine this lawful investigation into foreign interference in an American election. Uh, so, you know, these are were repeated attempts. It wasn't an accident. Oh, he accidentally said this or that the wrong way this one time. This was a concerted effort, and the special counsel has purposely handed this to Congress to take action on. Uh, obviously, Shabbat has not bothered to read the Mueller report, or he is a fantastic liar, both of which are probably as likely to be true. Uh, but some Republicans in Congress at least admit, at least they're open about it, to admit they have not read it and they will not read it, and they are somehow proud of that fact, that they want to stay uninformed and misinformed. On Sunday, Congressman... Rob Woodall of Georgia said uh, that he refuses to read special counsel Robert Mueller's report on his Russia probe during an interview with uh, MSNBC's Casey Hunt. Uh, she asked him if he had read the report and he offered pathetic excuse after pathetic excuse for why he hadn't. Have you read the Mueller report? I have not. Why not? They, I, I said when we started this conversation that I trusted uh, Mr. Mueller. There, he took a lot of slings and arrows throughout this process. But every U.S. attorney I knew said this is a man of great integrity. Yeah. He's going to lead this, so this investigation. Well, I, I have a concern when you put the entire uh, power of the United States Justice Department behind anything. <laughs> uh, you, can, you can achieve an agenda. You can drive a, drive a message. All of those. Uh, so you think the Mueller report was just driving an agenda? Well, there's no, nothing in there that's worth like figuring well, out. Well, you, you, you tell me what that uh, investigation is that, uh, <laughs> that, that, that Mueller said I didn't get a chance to do. He had a chance to do it all. He had right, but, but I'm saying, like, credit. we're talking about the report, right? Okay, so fine. I'm not, we're not talking about going beyond the Mueller report. I'm saying why not read, I and mean, there's 10 things in there on obstruction where he said, hey, the president
president may have obstructed justice here, Congress, he seemed to say you need to figure that out. I mean, why not? Well, he didn't say to Congress you need to figure that uh, that out. Yes, right? he obstruction did. is yes, not a did. political issue. Obstruction yes, is. is a criminal but he, uh, issue. But he did say to Congress, he was like, I can't make a decision about this because I'm not allowed to constitutionally indict a sitting president of the United States. So Congress, over to you. They, that's right. Congress, over to you if you want to pursue impeachment proceedings, which you can pursue for anything that you choose to pursue it over. I, I was a staffer on Capitol Hill in 1998 when Republicans went down this road, and they thought it was going to be a wonderful thing uh, to be able to impeach a, a sitting president. As you know, Republicans lost, seat, lost seats in that 1998 election. Uh, the yeah. constituents I represent uh, don't want to see criminal activity at any place. They also don't want to see folks grinding their political axes when they're important economic issues, family <laughs> issues, education issues that need right. to be uh, handled. The folks yes. wanting to see that investigation take place. Uh, what they heard at the end of that investigation is there's nothing here that we're going to go after the president uh, further on. Wrong. Folks are ready to turn that, turn that page. Uh, I know people are pouring through the, the Mueller report looking for something to talk about again tomorrow and next week. And it's easy. Easy as, a, as a concerned, curious citizen, I mean... You weren't interested to read it? I, I didn't read the Bill Clinton report uh, either. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't follow any of that uh, salacious uh, news. I was interested. Well, you weren't in, the, in Congress at the time. I was, I, I, was, I was on the board of directors of the United States of America as a, as a voter. <laughs> and yet I still didn't read it. I was an idiot then, and I'm an idiot now, and I am proud of it. That was Congressman Rob Woodall. Rod? Rob Woodall of Georgia. Someone needs to get that guy out of office. These people don't know what's in the Mueller report because they don't want to know what's in the Mueller report. If they didn't read it, do you think that most of America did? So I guess we do need to keep talking about it. I'm sorry. And continue to inform about the necessity of removing a criminal from the Oval Office. Because if we don't, there are a whole bunch of folks who simply will never know about it. Because they didn't read the 448-page Mueller report. They were told that it exonerates the president. So if members of Congress didn't even bother to read it, certainly regular old Americans, they didn't. And that includes not just citizens and voters and Congress members, but high-ranking Republican law enforcement officials. Jeff Landry, this was a few days ago, I was just gobsmacked by this. Uh, Louisiana's Attorney General, Jeff Landry, the top law enforcement official in Louisiana, he tweeted in response to the Mueller report and to uh, the calls for impeachment and so forth, quote, let me be clear, in all caps, in this nation, when a court doesn't find you guilty, you're found innocent, in all caps. Donald Trump was exonerated oh and God. Dems need to move on. That's insane. That's insane from anyone, but that's from the top law enforcement official, the attorney general of a state, of the great state of Louisiana, that's what he said. David Frum, who, and I cannot believe I'm on the same side of, uh, of, of the world these days as David Frum and George Conway and Justin Amash, but I guess I have to be. David Frum is the former George W. Bush speechwriter. He's the guy who coined the phrase axis of evil. David Frum replied to uh, Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry's comments by saying, quote, I'm ashamed to explain this to a state attorney general, but when a prosecutor 
says he lacks jurisdiction to prosecute an offense and so refers the offense to the body that he believes does have jurisdiction, that is not a finding of innocence. And that's exactly what happened here. Robert Mueller said he doesn't have the jurisdiction to bring criminal charges, even though he found copious evidence of criminality. So he is referring this to Congress. That is not a finding of innocence, but, you know, don't try to tell the attorney general of Louisiana any difference. Who, let me be clear, unbelievable. So, yes, even Republican state attorneys general are deeply ensconced in the uh, GOP paracosm. Look it up. Uh, So uh, why would anybody get the idea that Republican state attorneys general at this point would ever hold their own uh, members of their own party in their own states properly accountable for crimes, even when those crimes including killing people and poisoning hundreds of thousands of American children. That story is next on the broadcast as our bottomless pit of GOP corruption goes uh, deeper and slimier and as we continue our musical tribute to the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. Guys got to have something to be happy about right now, right? I'm Brad. This is the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. If you're looking to get an inside slam, if you're looking for something so good you can't refuse, bet on the blue. Yes, do. Bet on the blue. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Of course, I could only play this song after. My St. Louis Blues won their first Stanley Cup in franchise (laughs) history on Wednesday night against the Boston Bruins in Boston, of all places, in a rematch of the last time the Blues were in the Stanley Cup Finals in 1970, also against Boston when they lost four games to zero back then. Sorry, Boston. Uh, You guys probably uh, played better over the whole series, by the way. I think Boston played better. They played a great great series of games, but uh, St. Louis brought a lot of heart. Somehow the Blues pulled it off uh, after being in last place in the NHL on the first day of January. Somehow... In a miracle on ice, winning the Stanley Cup playoffs in the seventh and decisive game of the finals. Um, and uh, so I could only play that song, Bet on the Blues, after they won. Because betting on sports is illegal. Well, yes, that too. But also, <laughs> never bet on the Blues. I mean, year after year, they get in the playoffs and then they lose in the first round. So anyway, don't worry. Uh, I will let all of this go after today. I promise. Mostly. All right. uh, Prosecutors (laughs) dropped all criminal charges on Thursday against eight people in the Flint water crisis and pledged to start from scratch with the investigation into one of the worst man-made environmental disasters in U.S. history. And this is kind of 
I don't. Uh, with this is uh, just broke a couple of hours ago here, and it is hard to make sense of. Desi Doyen, I know you've been looking into it, trying to figure out, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I think it's a good thing. But there's a lot of folks in Flint who are very upset about it. The stunning decision to drop all of the criminal charges against eight people and start from scratch. This comes uh, more than three years and millions of dollars after authorities began examining the roots of a scandal that left Flint's water system tainted with lead. Michigan Solicitor General Fadwa Hamoud, a Democrat who took control of the investigation in January after the election of a new Democratic attorney general, said, quote, all available evidence was not pursued by the previous team of prosecutors. Hamoud uh, and Wayne County Prosecutor Kim Worthy said in a statement this week, we completed the transfer into our possession, millions of documents and hundreds of new electronic devices, significantly expanding the scope of our investigation. Our team's efforts have produced the most comprehensive body of evidence to date related to the Flint water crisis. We are now in the best possible position to find the answers that citizens of Flint deserve and hold all responsible parties accountable, they said. Hamoud's team recently used search warrants to get state-owned mobile devices of former Republican Governor Rick Snyder and 66 other people out of storage. Among those who had charges dismissed is Michigan's former health director, Nick Lyon, who was accused of involuntary manslaughter for allegedly failing to alert the public about an outbreak of Legionnaires' disease. That actually killed people when Flint was drawing improperly treated water from the Flint River back in 2014 and 2015. Lyons attorney Chip Chamberlain said, quote, they feel fantastic and vindicated about this. I don't know that they should be feeling that fantastic or vindicated because prosecutors caution that Lyon and all of the others could be charged again. Yes, charges could be refiled. This was dis- the charges were dismissed uh, without prejudice, meaning mm-hmm. that they can be refiled. So they're going to conduct a full and complete investigation. And in fact, the, I think the statement from the uh, mm-hmm. special from the prosecutor: legitimate criminal prosecutions require complete investigations. Upon assuming responsibility of this case, our team had immediate and grave concerns about the investigative approach and legal theories embraced by the former prosecutors, particularly regarding the pursuit of evidence. The the former prosecutor in this case was Republican Attorney General uh, Bill Schutte, who hired a special counsel by the name of Todd Flood. And uh, not all of the evidence was apparently pursued by Flood. He is uh, said to have wrongly allowed private law firms representing, I guess uh, the attorney general did, Or no, this was Flood. Okay, Flood is uh, said to have wrongly allowed private law firms representing former Republican Governor Rick Snyder and other defendants to have, quote, a role in deciding what information would and wouldn't be turned over to law enforcement. So Rick Snyder, the, the Republican governor who appointed the special manager, what do they call them? The emergency manager. Who ended up making this decision to change the water source that ended up poisoning the entire town of Flint? His own attorney got to decide what 
evidence they looked at in this investigation, including evidence that may have implicated the governor himself. Yes. Am I understanding that correctly? I believe you're understanding it correctly. And and granted, this is a, an extremely unusual uh, action for these prosecutors to have taken in light of the very high profile poisoning of so many of Flint's children with lead. Um, so, I, you know, Flint Mayor Karen Weaver, her statement, she said that uh, she was actually glad to hear of it. Um, she said that that means that the city, that the state is mm-hmm. prioritizing the city, that she would rather that the prosecutors go slow be right and get the accountability and justice rather than moving quickly. Um, other people, other uh, watchdog groups, mm-hmm. Food and Water Watch, for example, their uh, uh, Public Water for All campaign director, Mary Grant, said that the decision to dismiss all the pending criminal charges related to the Flint drinking water crisis can only be acceptable if the prosecution team refiles and aggressively pursues new charges swiftly. They are outraged to hear about the political influence that muddied the previous case through failure to seek all evidence. No one is currently behind bars in this matter. Seven of 15 people charged pleaded no contest to misdemeanors and promised to cooperate with the expectation that their misdemeanors would eventually be scrubbed. Uh, There were charges pending against eight people, including the former Michigan chief medical executive, uh, and, and two men who were state-appointed emergency managers in Flint. But uh, all of those charges have now been uh, tossed out. The chief medical executive was charged with involuntary manslaughter. All of that is uh, tossed out. They are starting over from scratch with this, uh, with this new team. Uh, so, yeah, I do think it's a good thing, although I can understand how folks in Flint are very confused and disturbed. Indeed. About all of this, uh, what a mess. And boy, whatever the former Republican AG must have done, it must have been pretty bad for it to um, result in starting throwing it all out and starting over from scratch. But at least that is being done. So we'll take it. The tiniest sliver of good news on the way out the door. Uh, thank you very much to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or your fa- or you can subscribe, of course, at your favorite podcast site. All of that made available thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us remain on your public airwaves for as long as we can, but we do need your help. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you'll find me at the Bradblog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman from the great city of St. Louis, now in Los Angeles. Good luck, world.